Since it's Easter or Resurrection Sunday morning, we will read together a section of the story. But this is not the story of the empty tomb. This is a story of his post-resurrection appearances. And what I see in Luke chapter 24, I see one central theme, and that theme is the impact of the resurrection. And the impact of the resurrection is far-reaching to the past, to the present, and into eternity future. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 24, verse 36, and we will read to verse 53. I'm using the New American Standard Bible version, if you are curious, and I will begin in verse 36. While they, they being the disciples, were telling these things, he suddenly himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Just look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they stood, still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Catch that. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he explained it to them. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and would rise again on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning first with Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. And then Jesus led them out as far as the little town of Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he departed from them and was carried into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Amen. Some say the resurrection never happened, but 500 people would say otherwise. Some say Jesus' resurrection is not important. The Bible disagrees. And some say that an event that happened more than 2,000 years ago in a little town called Jerusalem has no influence today. And nothing could be further from the truth. Personally speaking, as a preacher, Easter always presents myself a problem. And the problem is, is what do I talk about? I mean, I I know what to talk about, right? But I don't really know what to talk about, right? So 
last year at Easter time, after it was over, I went on YouTube and looked at some famous preachers and what they were preaching for Resurrection Sunday, and I found that most of them were preaching or discussing about the veracity of the resurrection. Really what that means is how we know it to be true. And then some others discussed its theological importance. But there were crickets on another point, at least as far as I could see. There was this glaring void. The void that I saw from last year's messages is its effect. How does the resurrection influence my life 2,000 years later. If you're watching this in Huntsville, Alabama, how does the resurrection influence my life in Huntsville, Alabama, or wherever you may be? And today, the answering this question is our quest. If a stranger came up to you right where you are and asked you the question, how does the resurrection influence my life, how would you respond? I would imagine most of us would probably struggle to find an answer. But the answer that I see in Luke chapter 24 is quite simple, but yet it is also quite incomprehensible. But before we start, we as Christians must be mindful that there are many tuning in to church today for the first time in a while. There are others that are tuning into church today because they are in search of of answers. If you look in our culture, people are grasping for answers to life's greatest problems and worries and fears. The more and more I preach the gospel, the more and more I preach God's word, the more and more I realize that the Bible, that Jesus Christ is the only hope, only solution to life's major spiritual problems. I received a text this week from my father-in-law, who you will, who will bless you with stories of myself in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> but he, he said to me, he says, you know, Byron, I see that God is moving right now in a mighty way amongst the darkness. And then he said, let us pray that our nation awakens to the reality of the gospel. He's right. I don't know wherever you are, wherever you may be accessing this, if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, if you do not know him as Savior, the fact that you are watching this, the fact that you are tuning in, confirms to me that the Lord is moving in your heart. And my question to you is, will you believe and be saved? Will you yield? But the fact that you are listening today not only confirms that God is moving in our nation and in your life, but it also testifies to the truth and the importance and the impact of something that happened 2,000 years ago. So with this in mind, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to once again turn to Luke chapter 24. When we come into the context of Luke chapter 24, where are we? Jesus has already risen from the dead, and he is spending his last few moments on earth giving some last-minute instruction to his disciples. And what we will see in this passage, a brief outline, we see the present influence in verses 36 through 43. We see the past influences in verses 44 through 49. And we see eternity future influence in verses 40, excuse me, in verses 50 through 53. Notice its present impact. 
in verses 36 to 43. But first, notice, as I read this, notice the temperature of the room. Verse 36. While they, the, the disciples, were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? What is the present effect of the resurrection? The resurrection provides peace in the present. But first, notice what's really going on in verse 36. What is the temperature, we would say, of the room? That when Jesus appears, they are completely and totally terrified. They have a deep fear shaken to the core. Now, in, if you notice in verse 36, there are two different words that Luke uses to describe their fear. It is, he, they're startled and frightened. That word frightened is the deepest of all fear. It is a fear of the supernatural. It is used when Paul is fearful or terrified of Jesus on the road to Damascus. The disciples are fearful to their very core. For whatever reason, when I read verse 36, I have a picture of my three-year-old daughter that sometimes she will wake up in the middle of the night when all the lights are out and she will make her way into the hallway. And if she cannot find us, she sits so innocently right there in the hallway weeping and kind of whimpering. And then at the moment that Laura and I find her, the moment she hears our voice, all that fear goes away. And that's exactly what happens here in verse 36. He himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace to you. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? When Jesus appears on the scene, peace appears. Even though that they are mistaken immediately, that they are seeing the Spirit, they are confirmed to them that Jesus is there amongst them, amongst them and they now know, when they confirm that it is Jesus, they now know that they aren't alone, that Jesus has kept his word, that Jesus has kept his promises, and that all the things that he has said will come true. When Jesus appears, peace appears. Some of you listening today probably feel a lot like the disciples. Some of you feel like the disciples, but I hope it's not because you are seeing spirits in your home. You and I might need to have a conversation if you do, um, just saying. But Jesus' appearance and his resurrection cause peace to their fear and to their frightened state. But Jesus' appearance, Jesus' resurrection should not just cause peace to them, but also peace today. Despite the fear in the world, the fear in your heart, the fear in uncertainty of circumstances when Jesus appears to be real when we understand that he is with us then the peace and the worry the worry should subside why? because our Savior does not shake or tremble our Savior is not dead but he is alive and the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead tells me that all of the promises all of the provisions of the gospel are true and it also tells me that as a Christian that Jesus is walking with me right beside my troubles and my worries. Jesus Christ is our present source of peace. Uh, to tell you a quick story, my sophomore year at Grissom High School, 
to all the alums, go Tigers. Okay, anyways, i got to say it. But what, my sophomore year of high school, I remember at one particular time, I was one of those uh, closet Christians hiding my faith and only bringing it out when it was convenient and needed. And the only sermon I remember from my entire high school career was given by Larry, the Grissom security guard of all things. And he said to me, he's repeated a line over and over again. He says, Jesus is our peace. And I kind of hung on to that. In a world that is crippled by fear and terror, a world that is crippled by a sense of uncertainty and crippled by Fox News and CNN, Jesus has not left us alone. He is not dead in a grave, but he has risen and he is alive and he is aware of what's going on in the present. But then notice how Jesus proves himself to his disciples. Verse 39. If you doubt, see my hands and my feet. That is, I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. How does Jesus prove to them that it is he and not just some spirit? He says to them, see my hands and my feet. Touch me. Realize that it is me, that I am true, that I am alive. But what else do his hands and his feet prove? Not only that is he alive and that he is resurrected, but his hands and feet prove that he actually died on the cross to pay for my sin. If you are skeptical that Jesus died on a cross, if you wonder, then just look at verse 39. And then look at the truth that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to 500 witnesses Jesus surely died and he surely raised from the dead. But an even better proof of Jesus' death and resurrection are the lives of his followers and disciples. If you're not familiar with this, Jesus had 12 disciples and all 12 of them, after Jesus resurrected and ascended, all 12 of them faced immense persecution and 11 out of the 12 died for their faith. No one dies for a lie. The fact that Jesus' Jesus's followers died confirms to me that Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension were true. No one dies for a lie. And since he died, since he was raised again, we have peace in the present. But not only do we have peace, but it also impacts the past. I wish this passage was in chronological order but just isn't verse 44 now he said to them these are my words which i spoke to you while i was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of moses and in the prophets and in the psalms must be fulfilled notice verse 45 then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." How does the resurrection impact the past? It 
confirms it. That's exactly what Jesus said, that all of the things written before me about my death and resurrection, all those things must be and have been fulfilled. Point number two is that the resurrection confirms the past. But what I find interesting, or I would say very fascinating, is that what I see is that there's a blank Blanket statement in verse 44 that this is kind of an introductory sentence. And then Jesus explains specifically what prophecies must be fulfilled in verses 46 through 47. But before we dive into that, I want you to notice verse 45. It says, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That word mind there literally is the Greek word nous. And it refers to one's ability to comprehend or to understand. So Jesus purposefully opens their ability and their ability to understand. And then what does it say next? Their ability to understand the scriptures. That word understand literally means to piece things together. What is the story that Jesus is helping them piece together? And he said to them, thus it is written... That the Christ, the Messiah, the one that you have been looking for, that he would suffer and that he would rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What is the story? The story that he helps them understand is one of redemption. The story of redemption is something like this, that you and I have sinned, we make mistakes, and because of that we are eternally separated from God, and because of His love, and because of His grace, and because of His mercy, and because of His justice, He sent His Son, who is the Christ, to suffer and to rise again for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus pieces together three things in the story of redemption. Number one, that He is the Christ. Christ meaning here Messiah, That through him we have redemption and hope and peace because he suffered and rose again on the third day. And number three, he did this for the forgiveness of sins. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Question. Why did Jesus die? Just said it. To pay for my sin. But then the next question is this. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus, why was he... Why must he have been resurrected? First, it is obviously to fulfill all things. But also, the resurrection is our receipt, our proof of purchase, that our debt of sin was paid and complete through Jesus Christ alone because he was a spotless, blemishless lamb and because he died for me, I can have eternal life through him. I find it amazing that my six-year-old nephew named Luke understood what a lot of people do not is that the only form of payment sufficient to pay my debt of sin is Jesus' death, is blood. Now, to some of us, this seems completely and totally perplexing, but it shouldn't. If you think about our culture, there is only one uh, currency that we can purchase things with. Let's just say, for example, that you went to Europe for just a second. You went to Switzerland, and you brought back with you a Swiss franc. If you've never been to Switzerland, I encourage you to go, but make sure you save lots and lots of money. It's a 
It's insanely expensive. But let's just say you bring back Swiss francs, and you try to take those Swiss francs to Walmart here in Huntsville, and you try to hand it to What's going to happen to the cashier? The cashier is going to first disinfect the coins, right? That's our culture right now. But then she's going to look at the Swiss franc and reject it. Why? It's because it's insufficient to pay for your debt. It's the same way with Christ. Blood. Jesus' death is the only form sufficient to pay for our sin. And his resurrection affirms all of the prophecies and it affirms that our debt is paid in full. Jesus' resurrection gives peace to the present, confirms the past, and then gives hope for the future. Verse 50. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Where did Jesus go? Jesus did not disappear, did not just vanish, but what does it say? He ascended into heaven. And why is that important? It's because if, when Jesus ascended into heaven, what do we know? That our hope of the future is secure. It provides us hope for the future. What does it say in John chapter 14, verse 2 through 3? For I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may be also. Jesus ascended into heaven to go and prepare a place for us, and that we know from John chapter 14 that he will come again, but this time not as a babe in a manger, but as victor over all. The fact that Jesus is in heaven right now confirms the future and provides me hope in now. Allow me to just say something really quick. We as Christians oftentimes focus way too much on the present. This week I was preparing this message and I just kind of paused. And we get, let's just be real, let's just be transparent. We get so stressed out and worried and fearful about the present, about what is happening through my senses, and that we totally forget about the future hope that we have. Allow me to just remind you of something. This comes out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. It says this, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a heavenly home yet to come. Our, this is not our home, this earth is a temporary shelter, and we have our permanent home waiting for us with our Savior in heaven, far away from all of life's difficulties, and this gives us hope now for the future. If you are wearied and troubled, if you are fearful or sick, if you are sad or troubled, then allow me to remind you of the hope to come. I often share this passage at funerals, what I'm about to share. I do not share it, obviously, for the past, the ones that are celebrated, so to speak, for their life. I really say this passage for those that are in attendance. And this is the future home that awaits us in eternity. Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, 
For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now amongst his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people forever. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne says, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I'm about to tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To who, all who are, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Because Jesus is risen, because he ascended into heaven, we are hopeful and sure of the future, and the future that awaits us is one of eternal peace and one of eternal paradise. Friends, he is risen, confirming that he is the Christ, that my debt of sin is paid, he is risen, giving me peace in the present, and that He is risen, giving me hope for the future, because He is not here, but there is a place in the future of rebirth. For my application here today, I've, out of Luke chapter 24, Before I really dive into my application, I'll just say it this way. I hope wherever you are, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're checking out Christianity or whether you're a long-time Christian, I would encourage you to just pause and open your mind to receive what I'm about to share. My application today is really for four different groups of people. Group number one are those who are skeptical. Those who are skeptical of the past, even of Jesus, if you're skeptical of this Jesus thing, if you're skeptical of this truth, then I would encourage you to go on, go beyond YouTube and actually look at other sources. Read the Bible. Look to answers that you may have. And one of the reasons I encourage you to do this is that I'm so confident that what we have, what we celebrate here today is true, that you will find and you will come to its reality. In other churches and other religions, what they would tell you to do is just take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go and look it up. Find the answers that you are dying to know. Because I am 100% certain that we, the scripture is true, that the Bible is authoritative, that Jesus was dead and that he raised and that he lives in heaven forever. Group number two are those needing peace. Our world needs peace now more than ever. But the world looks in all the wrong places. They look to their bank accounts. They look to their portfolios. They look to their appearances. They look to their psychologist. They look to their status. And when these avenues of peace in this world fail, then we often try to escape through alcohol or drugs to find peace or just check out. The only peace that will not be quenched is a peace from our Savior.
Group number three are those needing hope. If you're just beaten down, if you need hope, if you're just exhausted, exhausted, desperately needing, I'll just say it this way, you will remain hopeless until you see the only thing that provides true, unquenching hope for the future, that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the group number four are those that do not know Jesus. To those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to you, he offers you the gift of salvation by grace through faith in his Son alone. Your debt of sin, sin meaning their mistakes, your debt of sin is paid on the cross and to confirm it, he is resurrected. But what's amazing about the gospel is that you cannot earn it, but that you receive it only by faith as a gift. Allow me to close with an illustration. Some of you are like that old container of sour cream that we have forgotten about in our fridge for six months. Maybe I'm the only one that can relate to that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Some of you are like that old jar of sour cream that you are a Christian in label only. But that if you were to open up that jar, open up your soul, open up your life, you would see something else entirely. That you would see if you would just look inside a soul that is moldy and is desperate need of a Savior. It terrifies me. I say this all the time. It terrifies me that people can sit in church week after week, year after year, and think they are a Christian because they go to church, because they checked in for Easter once a year. All that does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But don't stop there. The gospel that I understand, we do not earn by faith, but because we receive it by faith, that we then show it by works. I am not saved by works, but because I am saved, I do good works. I would encourage you to open the container of your soul and search it, not taking for granted the label that you think you are, but seeing if Jesus has truly redeemed your life from sin and destruction. Friends, he has risen. In him let us believe. He is risen. In him let us trust. And he is risen. In him let us find hope above all of life's triumphs and trials. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And we just take a moment out of our lives and remember what it's really all about. That this day is not about candy and eggs. It's not about even meals with family. It's really about remembering what you have done, that you have died and you have risen again. Lord, I pray for the Christians that hear this wherever they are. I pray that they would find peace in the present and they would remember their hope for the future. And Lord, I pray for those that do not know you as Savior, that they would believe in your name and be saved, and that they would have the assurances that I have and that Christians have. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I thank you for all those that are tuning in. And I just pray that you would be with them on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.